So we are going through here the series on explaining Christianity. We're coming up today on our last study in this. So we're going to do a little bit of a review this morning. And since I wasn't here, you'll have to help me out quite a bit with that. I trust uh, that will be a profitable time for us. Before we begin, though, let's have a word of prayer. And then we'll look into God's Word. Father, we do thank You so much for Your love for us. We do thank You for the time that we have together in Your Word at this time each week. And we thank You for giving it to us and giving us the example of Your Son. We thank You for His work of giving us righteousness through His perfect work of uh, living a life on this earth and uh, achieving that perfect righteousness that He can apply to our account. We thank You also for His death that takes the punishment for our sin and gives us the opportunity to have uh, a clear account and that He took our sin upon Himself. And then He rose from the dead. And through His power there, we are able to also be resurrected. And we thank You for His work and for His continued work on our behalf, interceding uh, between us and You, being our advocate. And we do ask that uh, You would bless this time in His name. In Jesus' name, we do ask these things. Amen. All right, we st- you guys started last week a study on what is a Christian. You came to week five in the series of Explaining Christianity. And last week, uh, week five, you studied What is a Christian? Part one, which covered um, half of our text in Mark chapter one. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Mark chapter one, verse 15. And Christ says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And last week, you covered the topic of repenting. Does anybody recall what repenting, maybe something repenting is not? Since I know that was also covered. What is something that repenting is not? you have your notes from last week, you're welcome to look through those. Something that repenting is not. Or it's not only this. Any thoughts? Okay, it's not just a change of mind. Right, so if, you're, if your child or your student is doing something wrong and you call them down on it and they say, oh, okay, I just didn't know that. All right, I'll change my mind. Well, that might be on the you know spur of the moment, and oftentimes we'll catch ourselves doing the same thing because the Spirit rebukes us or we read in the Scriptures or somebody else brings to our attention something we've done wrong. Okay. And I changed my mind on it, but it, that, that can't be all that repentance is according to what the Scripture says. So repentance is not just changing our mind about something, but it is, it is other things. So what what is repentance then? It's not just changing the mind. What what is involved in repentance? Okay, it's a change in our heart, in our attitudes, and it does involve uh, changing our thoughts. Though that's not all it is. We've already we've already covered that. It is a it is a change in our heart, in our attitude, and that affects all the aspects of our lives including 
our ambitions, our desires, our will, our popularity, our pride, every, every aspect of our life has to change in order for it to be true repentance. And so that, that is the first part here of Mark chapter 1, 15, when he says, you know, actually let's back up to verse 14. After John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Okay, and, and here it, he summarizes what the gospel of God is. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And the Jews and the people of, the, of Jesus' day probably understood a little bit better than maybe everybody in our culture today what that word repent meant and what was involved in that. And they recognized his teaching. Mark just summarizes it for us in one word, repent. But that word is loaded, uh, as you guys remember from last week. Okay, um, I guess I should back up a little bit further. Pastor Elwert said that Christianity is founded upon three things, and he used an illustration, I believe, of a stool or maybe pillars. Uh, I was trying to go through his notes and trying to discern which one he used, and uh, I think he went with a pillar or a stool, I'm sorry. And there were three legs to the stool. Does anybody recall any one of those three legs of the stool or the pillars in the foundation of Christianity. Okay? The Son of God. And specifically, there are three aspects of the, of, of the Son of God. Right? Three aspects of, of His life and ministry that uh, give, us, give us these things. And so the first one uh, would be the divinity. Right? What she said, the, the Son of God. The fact that He was God as well as he was a man, but he was God. And so part of our Christianity is based on the fact that Jesus was more than just a man. There are many other religions, cults, and beliefs out there that are focused on a man. Jesus was more than a man. And so Christianity is distinct from all other beliefs because Jesus was God. Okay, So that would be the first one. And that establishes God's authority or, or Christ's authority, the fact that he was God. He had authority. What's something else in Christ's life that we base Christianity on? He was God. And then what was something He did for us? He was crucified. Okay? So not only does He have the authority to, to give us uh, words of life, but He was crucified. And that speaks of Him being our substitute. So He takes the place of our punishment. We deserve to be Crucified. We deserve to go to hell. We deserve to pay for our sin. And yet Jesus was our substitute and He died. He was crucified. So that's the second leg in our stool. But He didn't stay dead, right? So what's the third leg of the, of the stool here? His resurrection. Very good. And so not only did He, he die to pay our, our sin debt, but He was resurrected. And so he, that speaks also of our resurrection, the fact that we can have hope that we will one day be resurrected by our trust in Christ. So we see the three, the three legs of the stool. He was God. He died for us. And He rose from the dead. And we focus on those things for our, the, the basis of our Christianity. And so with that foundation, then we have to look towards ourselves. What makes us acceptable to God? Okay, God's done all the work. We've done nothing. 
We don't deserve anything. So how can we be made acceptable to God? What makes us acceptable to God? Since God is our judge, uh, you studied that in weeks two and three, God is our judge, what is our case before Him? What is our hope before God? And the only thing we can depend upon is God's grace. He shows us grace. What we don't deserve, He gives to us. His mercy, on the other hand, what we do deserve, hell, punishment, condemnation, He takes away. And so He withholds from us what we deserve and He gives to us what we don't deserve. That's His grace. Giving to us what we don't deserve. And because of His grace, and because He promises to give it to us, we have a 100% perfect standard and we have a, a perfect hope that we don't have to try to do good things in order to achieve righteousness before God. There's no way we could do that. And so we trust in Christ alone as our hope for our uh, payment for sin and to give us life and to give us a resurrection from this body. All right, so now we've, we've focused on the basis of our foundation. What what do we base it on? What makes us acceptable? God's grace, His righteousness applied to our account, makes us right before God. Okay? What's next? I mean, what does it mean to be a Christian? What, what distinguishes a Christian? If God so loved the world that He gave His Son, why doesn't everyone go to heaven? Okay, there is something distinctly different. And Mark summarizes it in two ways. He says you must first repent, and then believe in the gospel. And maybe those don't necessarily go in chronological order. Perhaps because you believe, you repent. Or maybe in your repentance, you are expressing your belief. But we'll say there's two sides to it. Two sides of the same coin here. The first one is repent. We covered that last week. And the second one is believing in the gospel. Believing in the gospel. And so this week we'll focus on the topic of faith. And if you look at your handout there, there the under the title there, Belief, it says, the purpose here is to learn the real meaning of Christianity by looking into the original sources to see what they have to say about the life, teachings, and claims of Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to see what does the Scripture say about life, the teachings, and claims of Christ regarding faith. So the first topic there under what is a Christian is what is faith? If we've got to express belief in Christ, what does that mean? What is faith? And we're going to look at that this morning. So if you turn just a couple chapters over to chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And if I could have a volunteer, read verses 21 to 24. Okay. Okay. 
And then it continues, actually, into uh, verses 35 to 43. Could I have somebody volunteer to read 35 to 43? We'll get the second half of the story. Okay, Mike? While he was still speaking, they came from the house of a synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. Uh, through verse 43. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. Entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Just read the translation. That'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that they should, that something should be given her to eat. Okay. So here we have a situation where there was a need, in this case a physical need. This lady's daughter, or this man's daughter was, was dead, essentially. And, and so he's, he's worried. Everybody's worried. We've got the people mourning, crying, weeping. What's going to happen? This is a tragedy. And they come to Jesus. And and uh, implore him earnestly, it says in verse 23. At that time, he says, My little daughter is at the point of death. Lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. What does it take for a person to go up to someone they've never met and say, Come and touch my daughter so she can live? It takes a lot of faith. You have to, first of all, believe that that person is capable of doing something more than what you can do yourself. Now, in our community, in our culture, we can go to a doctor that we've never met and say, I trust because you work at this hospital and you've got that piece of paper on your wall and you've got a resume that says you've been doing this for a couple of years, that you can do a surgical procedure on my child and perhaps accomplish some good. That's not what happened here. He wasn't asking for surgery. He says, all all you have to do is touch my daughter and she'll be well. She's almost dead. He doesn't say we we think she's got, you know, pancreatitis or we think, you know, maybe cancer. No diagnosis at all. Just, Just lay your hands on her and she'll be fine. And we see here the... The, uh, the trust, the belief of this person causing them to do more than just say, hey, I know God can heal this girl. And more than just saying a prayer to God, God, please heal my child. But actually going out of their way to find Jesus saying, I know you can do this. And, and the faith caused Jairus to act. It, it didn't cause him just to sit at home and, and just hope. His faith caused him to act. 
and to obey, we might say, to obey what God desired of him. <clears throat> and so Jesus comes in and he says, Why are you making such a commotion? Why are you crying? The child has not died, but is asleep. Now here's these people that don't have faith. And they look and they say, Oh, well, okay, it's too late now. Jairus, your mission failed because you weren't fast enough. You didn't get Jesus back here soon enough. You know, he had to stop and deal with this this lady on the way. And because of that, it didn't accomplish what you what you intended. Jesus says, no, no, don't make a commission. Don't cry. They start to laugh at him. I mean, what, what's your deal? She's dead. You can't heal her anymore. You can't heal a dead person. They had very little faith. Apparently, they hadn't studied the Old Testament. There's three accounts in the Old Testament of people being raised from the dead. And, and so they either weren't familiar with that or they didn't believe Jesus had the authority to do such things. Jairus believed otherwise. And so Jesus takes the child by the hand and says some words in Aramaic that we have difficult time pronouncing. But the translation is given for us there. It says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up. So we have a situation here where God shows his power. He reveals it even before these people had ever seen an example of a resurrection. Jesus demonstrates it there for them. But Jairus had the faith and he was willing to go and, and seek out God, seek out Christ in order to uh, to get healing for his daughters or for his daughter. So we, when we talk about faith, it's more than just a belief that says, okay, I know it in my head. It's got to be more than that. Because if we all say we believe God can do something, but we don't put confidence in that, we don't actually act upon it, it's not what we would call faith or what Scripture calls faith. In the middle of the section we read, we won't take time to read it today, but uh, perhaps you're familiar with it uh, from verse 25 on, talks about this woman that had a, a hemorrhage, it says. So she had this problem. And she sees Jesus coming through the crowd and, and she thinks in her head, all I have to do is touch the hem of his garment. Alright, so she had faith, but again, her faith caused her to act. It caused her to do something. Alright, and there was nothing significant necessarily of Jesus' clothes per se. It wasn't that his garment, you know, if we still had it today, we could throw it on a dead person that would raise him to life. That's not the point. But in her mind, she had to do something. She had to, she had to get close enough to touch Jesus. She had to act upon her faith before she was healed. So belief, faith, is more than just a mental understanding of what's going on. Is it, for, is it something that's just for the irrational and uneducated? Uh, you might see people that believe in UFOs or you know all kinds of weird stuff like that and they they study uh they study pictures and videos or people that follow the Loch Ness monster which you know who knows if that's still there there's a picture on Google Earth that shows this form there in the lake and people are resurrecting the whole Loch Ness monster thing all over again okay whatever they believe even though they've never actually been in Scotland at that lake to see this monster they believe. Okay? And it seems irrational. It seems uneducated, perhaps. And maybe that's a charge that people would level against Christians. Well, you've never seen Jesus. You've never seen these miracles. So, how do you believe? And the fact is, is that we can't believe on our own. 
unless God gives us faith. But when God gives us faith, it causes us to respond, to act. And we trust in His Word. Faith has to be dependent upon facts. It has to depend upon facts. Uh, What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of times in life, there are circumstances that come into our life that might cause us not to believe or to be shaky in our belief. Uh, There are emotions that can kick in that can make it difficult for us to have faith and believe. And when, for example, if, you know, my wife and I, we we lost our first child Uh, a couple years after we were married. We were wondering, are we ever going to have kids? Now we have five. It's like, are we ever going to stop having kids? Um, But when we lost our first one, there there were a lot of emotions that make it difficult for a person to have consistent faith. And so we can't allow emotions or circumstances to affect what we believe. Our faith has to be based upon facts that we read in Scripture. Okay? Um, if we had a lot of time, I might have some volunteers stand up and walk across the room. But uh, just for illustration here, on the blackboard, or the whiteboard actually, we'll have uh, this, this line should be straight. We'll say it represents facts. Okay? Facts go in a straight line. The, the middle line, we'll say, represents faith. And the last line, we'll say, represents emotions. Or you can think circumstances. And the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of times, emotions and circumstances, they change all throughout life. They are not consistent. We wish they were. They're not. And so they go all over the place. In fact, sometimes they don't even end up where we want them to end. So it might actually end up to the right side or back where it started or or wherever. And if faith, if our faith is watching emotions, we get off track. We can't consistently go in the straight path that God wants us to walk in. And so by focusing on emotions, it's impossible to continue on straight. So faith must look to facts to continue to walk straight. And and I hope this illustration helps us to understand the significance of why we depend on facts instead of emotions and circumstances. Is we see a straight line, which I wish it was straighter. I can't draw straight. Um, as we look at something that's that's firm, that never changes, it helps us to be firm and not to waver. When our focus gets on something else that does change, like people, like emotions, like circumstances, our faith cannot be firm. It it goes all over the place. And so our faith must be on something that's concrete, fixed, unmovable, something that never changes, like God's Word. And that gives us the ability to, uh, to continue on straight. Moving on to the next point then, not only do we trust in Christ and His Word those facts that never change, but we also trust Jesus as Lord, not just Savior. Not just Savior. Um, we're going to skip over the, uh, the section there in the middle that I just mentioned. Let's go to chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. <clears throat> 
And Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus says, Okay, there's people on this earth that claim to be my followers, they claim to be my disciples, but they are ashamed of me. You know, some you know, we might think of the example of Peter. And here's Peter you know, after the crucifixion or after Jesus is taken to be crucified and the little girl comes up and says, hey, you're one of those followers of Jesus. And Peter was ashamed. No, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. You got me confused with somebody else. And three times Jesus or Peter denies Christ because he was ashamed. He didn't want to be lumped in with Jesus and, and Jesus' suffering. He didn't want to be a part of that. Maybe you've been in a circumstance or situation where somebody has made fun of you or ridiculed your belief and it's easy sometimes to get ashamed because the majority of people around us are not doing the same thing, not believing the same thing that we are. It's difficult sometimes for us to have a steady faith. And so Jesus says, hey, if you're going to deny me in front of people, if you're not going to... to uh, have confidence before other people of me, then when it comes time for you to stand before my Father, I'll reject you just like you rejected me. Jesus can't just be our ticket to heaven. It's not something that where we sign on the dotted line and we say, okay, this gets me to heaven. This gets me eternal life. This saves me from, from, from hell. But I still kind of want to stick with what I've been doing all the rest of my life. Be comfortable have a great time with my friends and not allow Christianity to influence any other part of my life. I want to go to heaven, but that's really all Jesus is for. And sadly, there are a number of churches today that are preaching that type of a gospel. That faith is just a means to get you to heaven, and that's it. And and Christ is very clear. Not just in this passage, but all throughout the New Testament, he, He keeps emphasizing you can't just be my disciple to get something out of me, to get a free meal, to, to get deliverance from this problem or that problem, to get a healing session. You are my disciple when you hate father and mother and brother and child and you deny yourself and you take up my cross, your, your cross and you follow me. And so following Christ means Jesus becomes our Lord. He becomes our boss. He gets to tell us what we do in life. Just like a boss in a job gets to tell you what you have to do at the job. And so faith involves not just trusting Christ in His Word, but it also means trusting Jesus as our boss and doing what He tells us to do. Following Him. And that sometimes gets tricky to do as well as we navigate the circumstances and emotions of life we need to constantly be reminded, no, 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 go back to the facts. What did Jesus say? Does, does, does what you're doing match up with what Jesus said you're supposed to be doing as his follower? The situation with the, the woman that touched Jesus, uh, the, the hem of Jesus' garment. Um, Jesus didn't just allow her to be hidden in the crowd. He didn't just walk away and say, oh, okay, I know somebody touched me. They want it healed. All right, so be it. Let her go her way. 
Now he specifically says, whoa, 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 somebody touched me. Hold on. Disciples are like, no, everybody's touching you. There's a big crowd. I mean, come on, we're pushing people out of the way. You've got to go heal this guy's daughter before she dies. And just like, no, 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 hold on. Somebody touched me. Somebody that had faith exercised their faith. And I don't just let that go. I don't just forget about that and say, okay, I gave you what you wanted. Now get away. Jesus says, no, no, no. It's more than that. Because you've expressed faith in me. You've been healed. That's great. I'm happy for you. But there's something more important than that. You must see me as Lord. Jesus wasn't just a miracle worker. He, nor were there uh, things done as secret disciples. Um, that these people could just walk around kind of half believing in their mind or believing in their mind, but not letting it become part of their life. Christ had to be their ongoing authority in life. And uh, eventually the woman throws herself at Jesus' feet. It was me. All right, I confess, it was me. She tells the truth and she makes it public to everybody. Yes, I have faith in in you. And it caused me to act. And so uh, we must do as Christ said. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, follow Him, not denying Him before others, but proclaiming Him before others, as this lady did. Uh, Quickly, point number three. We're running out of time here. Unwavering childlike trust and personal commitment. Unwavering childlike trust and personal commitment. If you'd flip over a couple chapters to chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. It says that they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. Once again, the disciples didn't quite get Jesus' ministry. They kind of figured Jesus' agenda out for themselves, what made sense to them. And so here, people are bringing children to Jesus, and and they're like, wait a second, these are kids. Now remember, back in their culture, children weren't like the pinnacle. Like in our in our society, it seems like kids get put above everybody else, and you know treat adults like garbage. But the children, we need to put them up on a pedestal and let them be free and let them explore the world without any hindrances or any preconceived notions, and and let them let them go. In in their culture uh, at this time, children were rugrats. They were, you know, the last thing that you would think about in society. You have children, and then beasts like dogs and whatever. They didn't respect children of that day. Children were not to be seen or heard. Children were supposed to get out of the way so adults could get things done. And so the disciples were just kind of following that logic. Well, come on. Why would you bring children to the Master? These kids don't even know what they're talking about. They don't know what's going on in life. They can't discuss theology. They can't talk about the law. They haven't even had their bar mitzvah yet. Come on. Get them out of here. And let's let the adults have the real conversation that needs to be had. And Jesus says, whoa, hey, hold on. Jesus saw this and was indignant at them. He rebukes them and says, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter at all. Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't stop those kids from coming. Let the kids come to me. 
don't you realize that when you get to the kingdom, you're going to find out that everybody there in the kingdom is like these kids? Kids trust you regardless of emotions and circumstances in life. You're driving down the road and you get a flat tire and it irritates you. And the kids are like, what's the matter, Dad? Isn't God still in control? Yes, God is still in control. Thanks so much. Appreciate the reminder. Now be quiet. Don't need that rebuke in my life. But kids have this way of focusing on the facts and they just believe. And you can't wrestle that away from them. You can't pose to them a situation in which those facts are not true. My little son likes to watch Michael Jordan basketball. I'm not sure why. We have this video. It's a really old video. And every morning, he goes and points to the TV and says, basketball. He loves basketball. My older son will watch it, and in it, Michael Jordan talks about being able to fly for a couple of seconds. And my son believes Michael Jordan could fly for a couple of seconds. So he's in his room practicing to be able to fly like Michael Jordan. He has faith. He has confidence that he's able to do that. Regardless of the fact that he can't fly, he can't get, stay off the ground for even a second, he believes he's flying. Children can have faith and confidence in something despite what the circumstances around them seem to suggest. And Jesus is saying, here's kids that are coming to me, they believe in me, and they don't have all the obvious logic that you guys have. They don't need me to convince them based upon A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, Y, all the way to Z, and then back around again. They don't need all of those proofs. They look at the facts. They look at who I am. They say, He's God. I believe that. He can do all things. There's nothing God can't do. My eldest son said that to me the other day. There's nothing God can't do. Right, Dad? That's right. And he goes on to list all of the things that he can't do. Thank you. He goes on to list all the things. God can't do this. God can't do this. God can't do this. You're right. Children have a faith that doesn't get rattled like adults' faith is easy to do. They are able to focus on the facts and ignore the emotions and the, and the circumstances. And we need to do that. We need to have, as it says, unwavering childlike trust and personal commitment. There is a, uh, a famous tightrope walker named Blondin, the, the amazing Blondin or whatever his name was. And he was able to do amazing just amazing walks. And the most famous one that he's known for is Niagara Falls. So he walks her across this tightrope over Niagara Falls. I think he also rode a bike over it once. And uh, people are just marveling. And he talks to this reporter and he says to the reporter, Hey, do you think I could take a man in a wheelbarrow across this line? And the reporter says, Absolutely, I believe you can do that. And Blondin says, okay, get in. You know, you said you believe. Prove it. Get in. Guy wouldn't get in. He offers, hey, anybody here? Want to get in? Nobody would get in. Finally, a little boy comes walking up. I think you can do it. little boy gets in the wheelbarrow. Now, what looks to us like, okay, yeah, I see him do it, and it's fine for him to take that risk, I'm not willing to take that risk. Even though I think he could do it. I believe he could do it. Mentally, I think he could. I'm not willing to stake my life on it. 
And yet a little child comes up and is like, yeah, I'll do it. Hops in. Blondin walks him across, walks him back across. Crowd goes wild. Faith doesn't just say, I believe. Faith says, I believe, therefore I must do. Faith causes us to respond. And just like a child, our faith has to be based upon facts, not on emotions, not on circumstances in life. Uh, the last main point here, understanding God accepts me. We won't uh, be able to go to John 5.24, but I encourage you to look that up this afternoon. In it, John gives us actually three emphasis. He emphasizes it three times. God gives us eternal life. He does not judge us anymore. He lets us live forever. I mean, he emphasizes like bang, bang, bang. Three, three times he emphasizes to us. God is giving this to us. And we can have confidence that God accepts us upon our faith and repentance. He said he would. He emphasizes it over and over. In this one verse, he emphasizes it three times. God is not going to reject us. Those that believe on him are not going to get rejected. And we have a difficult time believing this because we've been rejected in the past by people. And so those circumstances and emotions creep back in. But what if? But what if? But what if? And God says, no, no, no. It doesn't work that way with me. I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to put you aside. I'm not going to forget you. And I'm not going to judge you and condemn you because you are mine and you are in my hand and no one's able to take you out of my hand. And my hand is in the Father's hand. And no one is able to take you out of my Father's hand. We are secure. And as Christians... We can have confidence that this will never, ever change. Uh, there's a review there from uh, last week, three passages. I'm not sure if you looked them up or not. What gifts does God give to those who repent and believe? In Mark chapter 1, verse 8, uh, it says that we will have the Holy Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 2, verse 10, it says that our sins will be forgiven. So we will have the Holy Spirit. Our sins will be forgiven. And then in Mark 10.30, we will have eternal life. Because we believe in God, He gives us the Holy Spirit. He forgives our sins. He gives us eternal life. Those are the facts that we need to focus on, not the emotions in life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You so much for Your love to us. We thank You for giving us the Word that gives us life because of the truth that it has based upon the actions of Christ. We thank You for the examples that we have, not only of Christ, but also of the apostles and many that were in the early church. And I do ask that You would help us today to express our faith by acting on our faith, by obeying You, by, by having You as our Lord obeying what you say. You're the boss. And I do ask that you would help us to trust in these facts that don't waver. They don't change. They, they can't be altered because of our mood or because of a circumstance. They are focused on you and because you do not change, your word and your promises do not change. I ask that you would help us to have the unwavering faith of a child that we would trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.